um, setting, so we decided that, or I decided we would go up uh, to Mulholland Drive. Uh, Mulholland is a, a drive that runs along a mountain range that separates the LA Basin, uh, which is millions of people, from the San Fernando Valley, which is uh, two and a half million people in and of itself. And uh, it's, it's a real long drive, and uh, there are certain spots where you, they have these scenic overlooks where you can see for miles and miles and miles, you can see this whole basin and, and the lights, and it's just a very pretty scene. And so we got up there, and uh, about 40 or 45,000 other Angelinos decided that would also be a good idea that evening because it was totally packed. All the parking was uh, packed, and so you had to park along the road. And we actually had to park, you know, half a mile or so down the road and kind of walk back just along the side of Mulholland, which is a fairly narrow drive, and it's mountainous, so there's not much shoulder and things. So we were there, we looked at the scenic overlook for about an hour, and then when we got, uh, came back to the vehicle, actually there was a police officer there putting a ticket on our, uh, on our uh, car. And, uh, you know, I, I, it had been dark, and I didn't see the no parking signs, and I tried to explain that I was uh, in, uh, in seminary and training going to the ministry, and so I was probably, you know, uh, meditating on Scripture or something. I didn't notice what was going on, and, but that didn't seem to work. And um, he said, you know, we have to give him the ticket. And it was a $50 parking ticket, which is a lot of money. And so I, I left there, and I was thinking to myself, what, what should I do about this? Should I pay this? I mean, it's a, it's a rental car. Will they find out? Actually, the rental car was in Heather's uncle's name, uh, so that was even better. It, uh, so, you know, what are the odds they can track me down? Um, but, it, you know, I kind of thought, well, i got to be a person of integrity. I'm going to pay this bill, and so I paid it. And about a year later, I went back to Los Angeles. Do you think I was nervous to go back? Do you think I had any feelings of guilt, any feelings of fear? Uh, do you think I would be worried that I might run into the same police officer somewhere? Um, no, of course not. Because the debt had been paid, the price, the penalty had been taken care of, been paid in full, and so I was free from any obligation, as the song we just sang says. I had no guilt, no fear. We're launching a new series this weekend. We're dealing with the issue of forgiveness. And my goal for this morning, for, for all of you, is that this would be a time of reflection, but also a time of celebration, a time to remember, a time to let go, a time to forget, a, a time to allow each of us to have some space in our crowded, busy lives to quiet ourselves and think about the forgiveness that we've been offered and move more fully into living a life of forgiveness. Now, I don't know about you and where you are in your journey, but I have the, the, uh, probably the, I have the perception that maybe not everybody here thinks that this is the message that you need to hear today. Some of you maybe are Christians, and you think to yourself, I know this stuff, and I come to church uh, to, to be encouraged and, and to get information and Bible teaching and knowledge or practical information about how to be a better father or husband or or uh, how to manage my money better according to God's counsel, or manage stress, or all those kinds of things. I need practical stuff. I, I know this stuff already. Maybe others of you are uh, what you'd call seekers or skeptics, or you have doubts, and you're processing through this whole faith thing. And you're kind of checking things out and thinking to yourself, you know, I, I don't need this information. I need proofs and evidence and, and reasons. Maybe others of you here are... Uh, here to appease somebody, to get somebody off your back. That happens sometimes. Maybe you're here because you just heard there was some church out there doing a series called The F Word, and you were like, what is that? i got to check this out. Maybe this is not kind of what you think you need to hear. We all have a sense about what our needs are. But maybe this is the message that most of us desperately need to hear. 
even if it's to hear it again. So see, sometimes our perceived need and our actual need are two different things. Yesterday, I took my three kids, gave my wife a break, took them to, uh, to uh, Toys R Us in the morning. And um, we were walking around starting to you know, get some ideas for Christmas. And it's amazing how many things my children thought they desperately needed there. Um, you know, robot-controlled dinosaurs and video games. And Emma needed uh, more Barbie furniture than we actually own regular furniture. Um, and uh, Bennett needed this, like, he desperately needed this $400 motorized Batmobile that you could buy there, which I kind of thought, actually, I kind of need that myself. But sometimes our perceived need and our actual need are, are quite different. In Mark chapter 2, there's a story about a guy that had a similar situation. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there, Mark chapter 2. If you don't, that's okay. I want everybody to kind of uh, follow along, so I'm going to put it on the screen as well. And the story starts like this. Several days later, he returned to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a city on the Sea of Galilee. It was kind of Jesus' headquarters for his ministry. And the news of his, that's Jesus' arrival, spread quickly through the city. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there wasn't room for a single person more, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a stretcher. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd, so they dug through the clay roof above his head and lowered the sick man on a stretcher right down in front of Jesus. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Some of you have heard this story before, but I'm going to hit it kind of from a different angle. I want you to really think about the life that this guy lived, just for a second. Think about a life in that culture confined, confined to a mat. Do you think he was tired of spending his life staring up at the ceiling? I think he was tired of bed sores. I think he was tired of depending on others to meet every single one of his needs. Do you think he was tired every day of having to give up some of the basic human dignity things that most of us take for granted? Having somebody else have to bathe him, clothe him, feed him, take him to relieve himself. This guy knows he has some needs. But the need he perceives that he has that's the greatest need is the need to heal this broken body he has. But Jesus recognizes maybe his perceived need is an, and his actual need are maybe two different things. Verse 5, when Jesus saw how strongly they believed that he would help, Jesus said to the sick man, son, your sins are forgiven. Again, put yourself in this guy's shoes. I can't help but think that this guy thought, wait a minute. I mean, what? My sins are forgiven? That, that's not what I came for. I heard that there was this miracle worker in town that could heal people's bodies. That's why I'm here. I mean, my sins are forgiven. Big whoop. I don't even know what that means. Anybody, any lunatic can walk around and tell people their sins are forgiven. I need a miracle. I don't need any religious mumbo jumbo. Verse 6. But some of the Jewish leaders said to themselves as they sat there, What? This is blasphemy. Does he think he's God? For only God can forgive sins. Jesus could read their minds and said to them at once, Why does this bother you? I, the Messiah, have the authority on earth to forgive sins, but talk is cheap. Anybody can say that. Jesus recognized that anybody could, could just walk around and say this. So I'll prove it to you by healing this man. Then turning to the paralyzed man, he commanded, Pick up your stretcher and go on your way, for you are healed. The man jumped up, took the stretcher, and pushed his way through the stunned onlookers. Then how they praised God. We've never seen anything like this before, they all exclaimed. See, Jesus saw past what this man thought he needed to hear what he really did need to hear. He addresses him in a way of intimacy. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Maybe those aren't the words you came here this morning thinking you needed to hear, but maybe 
Maybe that is what you need to hear. Maybe, maybe again, maybe for the first time, maybe to have a fresh touch of forgiveness. Maybe every single one of us down deep in our souls is desperate to hear the words, your sins are forgiven. Because it is in these words that souls are healed, that we get a touch or a fresh touch of amazing grace. It is in these words that we encounter a blood-stained Savior and a brutal cross. And so I want to help us begin to take a journey, take some steps toward living in forgiveness, the forgiveness that God has for us. And this is a process, this is a journey, and it begins, number one, by acknowledging our need for forgiveness. First thing we have to do is acknowledge our need for forgiveness. Let's be honest, we all have one. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we are, not only fool- we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. I know this is not like a happy-go-lucky thought for you to begin your Sunday morning with, but it's just the truth. The Bible describes sin as this thing of missing the mark. The sense of cosmic rebellion against the God of the universe. That God set up this council as a loving father would to his children. And that we decided to ignore that council and go our own way. And the Bible describes this sin thing as very serious business. From the very beginning in in the book of Genesis, when the first human being sinned, God comes on the scene and he slays an animal to clothe them. And so from the very beginning, there's this equation that because of sin, death occurs. And throughout the history of Israel, God uses the people of Israel as a picture, as a metaphor to the world around them so that everybody can understand that sin equals death. If you were a Jewish family, what you would do once a year is you'd go to Jerusalem to the temple and you would take an animal from your own flock, a sheep or a a goat, um, a dove if you were poor, and you would walk up to the temple, the altar, and you as a family would lay your hands on this animal, signifying that all of your sins are being put on that animal. And then the head of the family, the father, the oldest son, would take a knife and take his own animal in front of his own family, and he would slit the throat of this living animal. And it was blood would spurt out, and you can imagine it was a very gruesome thing. scene. Tens of thousands of times a year did this happen. And every year, from the time that you were a little baby, you would see this. It would be drilled into your mind that sin equals death. Sin equals destruction. This guy named Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, grew up in a Jewish family. He knew the reality of sin, and yet he said about himself, I'm the chief of sinners, and I've always said that I got next. And the truth about all of us is that everybody's on that list. Let's not be naive or in denial. The truth is that we are all broken. We're all a mess. We've all failed. We've all made mistakes. We are all sinful people. Romans 3.10 says, No one is good. No one in all the world is innocent. We like to hide. We like to put on a righteous face. But the truth about me and the truth about you is that we are full of sin. No matter how well we do at hiding. It's an old story. You've probably heard this before. About a guy that breaks into a house. A robber breaks into a home to, to rob it, to steal from there, and as he's walking through the darkened home, he hears a voice very quietly that says to him, I can see you, and Jesus sees you too. And he thinks to himself, did I just imagine that? Is that my conscience? What's going on? And he goes a little further, he hears the voice again, I can see you, and Jesus sees you too. And so his heart's beating like crazy, as you can imagine, and he turns his flashlight on, he's looking around, and he, he comes on a parrot, and the parrot looks at him in the eyes and says, I can see you, and Jesus sees you too. And the guy 
oh my goodness, takes a huge amount, just uh, almost had a heart attack, scared to death, stupid bird, you know. He takes one more step and then he hears this intense, low, brutal growl. And he pans his flashlight down and he sees the biggest Rottweiler he's ever seen in his life. And then he hears the bird say, sick him, Jesus. <laughs> well, we think we can hide, but we can't. And I don't know what secrets that you carry, what skeletons in, are in your closet, but we all have them. We all have shame, we all have pain, we all have fear, we all have guilt. All of us do. Maybe it's that abortion that happened years ago. Maybe it's the abuse that you inflict on, on another. Maybe it's the heart of jealousy that you carry around with you. Maybe it, it's the destructive pattern of greed in your life that consistently hurts your family. Maybe it's the problem with pornography. Maybe, it, guys, it's the marriage vows that were violated on that business trip. Ladies, maybe it's the marriage vows that were violated in that chat room. Maybe it's the sin of grumbling. You think that's not that big a deal. But 10, 000, more than 10,000 Israelites were killed because of this, that sin. Maybe it's cheating the company that you work for. If the truth be known, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of shame in this room. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's true about me and it's true about you. And the first step of learning to live in God's forgiveness is to acknowledge I need forgiveness. I know, because I've been there too many times myself. I've got failures in my past. I've had feelings of hidden shame and guilt. That's why I'm so drawn to this guy, Jesus, who says to paralyzed people like I can sometimes be, your sins are forgiven. It's hard to acknowledge that. It's hard to acknowledge the truth about ourselves. But we need to in order to step fully into and live in the forgiveness that God has for us. So how about you? Can you acknowledge that this morning? Second step to fully living in the forgiveness that God has for us is to experience the touch or a fresh touch of forgiveness. I want every person in this room who's dogged by guilt, who's burdened by shame, to experience a touch or a fresh touch of God's forgiveness. For this guy in, in Mark chapter 2, that was an easy thing. I mean, he had the physical healing touch of God, but for us it's a little more complicated because we can't physically be around Jesus. So again, there's a process we must go, to, go through. And the first thing we have to do is we have to get the gift thing. We have to understand that it is a gift. In other words, it's not something we can earn or we deserve or that it's a, a conditional thing. None of that is applicable. It is a gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages, the paycheck for sin is death, death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a gift. We're approaching the Christmas season and you're going to give gifts to people. We have gifts, you know, that we give to our, our children. But a gift that doesn't, isn't worth anything if it just stays there wrapped up under the tree. It has to be accepted. It has to be open. It has to be received. Also, it's, something, it's important that we understand that gifts, it's not something that we earn. If my kids came down on Christmas morning and saw all the gifts and they said, okay, I'm going to go do my chores so I deserve these gifts, I would say no. And that, that's not what this is about. That undermines and cheapens the value of the gift. It's not about what you do. It's just an expression of my love. And God says this thing of forgiveness is a gift to you. It's an expression of my love. It is there for you, but you have to open it and receive it. Just knowing it's there, just kind of having the religious knowledge, just being around church, that's not enough. So the question for each of us is, have we opened this gift? Not have we jumped through certain religious hoops, not do we believe in God, not have we gone to church, but have we received, have we opened the gift of forgiveness that God has for us? We've got to gift the gift thing. Second thing we have to do to experience a touch of forgiveness in our lives is we have to give it, meaning our sins, our brokenness, our failures, we have to give it to God. 
Psalm 32 says this, What a relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was, but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day and all night your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. You and I carry junk from our past and sometimes it weighs us down. But that's not what God wants. Sometimes we come to God and we have this perception that he's mad at us, that he w- he's trying to kind of beat us down for our mistakes and our failures. That couldn't be farther from the truth. God sent his son to take our punishment on the cross. The punishment is already taken. Why would he punish you again? I talk to people pretty regularly who say, is this stuff that's happening to me, is this because God is punishing me for my past? Why would God punish you? The punishment's already been taken. It's done. It's over. We need to walk in freedom. Too many people acknowledge that they're a sinner. They know that they're broken, but they can't fully live in the freedom that God has for them. They feel stuck. And they say, what I've done is just too bad. I've failed too much. I've hurt too many people. Somebody needs to pay for that. And I try to remind people, someone already has. The debt has been paid. You're free. You can drop the load you're carrying. Whatever's in your past, whatever failures, shame, guilt you carry, let it go. Let the cross be the cross. Third step in experiencing the touch of forgiveness that God has for us is give it, meaning our sins, our brokenness, our failures, give it to another. And again, this is very difficult. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's a soulish healing that happens when we give our sins, when we give our failures to another. And this is very hard, I understand. But see, sometimes when we give it to God, we still don't feel a sense of freedom because there's no tangible expression of God's forgiveness that God can give back to us. So by giving it to another, we are allowing God to speak his words of grace and mercy and love and freedom through another person to us and allow their hands and their arms and their tears be an expression of God's forgiveness. There's something very therapeutic about this. Again, there are times when I'll meet with somebody in my office and they'll say, I'm going to tell you something I've never told another soul in my whole life. And they'll open up their heart and share this something from their past, something they've, some failure, some mistake they've made, something they've been carrying shame and guilt for. And I try to share with them and look and say, say, you know, look, Jesus Christ paid for your sins. The price has been paid. It's over. It's done. No sin is beyond his forgiveness and grace. And you can see in their face there's this, yeah, but, you know, yeah, but you don't understand. And I say, no, it's done. It's over. There's nothing you have to do. And as it eventually begins to sink in, you can see the weight begin to be lifted. And the peace of God become, come on them and they have this sense of freedom finally. But it's because they had a person speak and act and touch on the behalf of God. Some of you are still carrying stuff from your past. And you know the truth about God's forgiveness towards you, but you're not living in freedom. And the reason you're not is because you've never shared it with another person. I urge you to do that. It's hard. It's scary. You have to choose wisely the person you share with, obviously. But I encourage you to give it to another. Some of the greatest moments in my spiritual journey that God has given me Moments of freedom and grace is when I have taken a risk and said, even though I'm a pastor and all those kinds of things, I sit down with a person and say, here's how I've blown it. I've blown it in a big way and share that with them. And have that person look back across the table at me with tears in their eyes, saying, thank you for sharing that with me and extend God's grace and love to me and pray with me and tell me me how proud they are that I would open up to them. Those are amazing, freeing moments 
We need to give it to another. The fourth piece of experiencing a touch of forgiveness is we need to learn to live in freedom. To live in freedom. There have been some high-profile court cases over the last few years. Uh, Martha Stewart, um, OJ, the Enron stuff. And when the verdict is going to be read, there's always these tense moments. These moments where we wonder what's going to happen. You know, that's going to be true for all of us someday. The Bible says that every single one of us is someday going to stand before a holy God and we're going to face a verdict. Are we a person with sin in our life or are we perfect? And you say, wait a minute, nobody's perfect. That's right. I'm guilty and so are you. So what do we do? Well, the good news is that when we acknowledge that we are a sinful person, we're broken, we receive the gift of forgiveness that God has for us. When we embrace that gift, we invite Christ into our life to wash our sins away. And when we follow him, your sin, the Bible says, is nailed to the cross with him. And what happens is God then gives you the perfection of Christ. It's deposited to you. 25 years ago, when I bowed the knee and committed my life to Christ when I was eight years old, this exchange took place So when I stand before a holy God someday, it will be read on the account of Blake Carter, the charge of lying. The verdict is not guilty. And I'm going to go, yes, because I know I'm guilty. And on the charge of lust and theft and anger and greed and every other thing in my past and in my future, it will read not guilty. It'll be like I've done nothing wrong. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation, there's no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2, 13 says it even more fully. You were dead in your sins. You're in trouble. But then he gave, God gave you a share in the very life of Christ, for he forgave all your sins and blotted out the charges proved against you. He took the list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God took Satan's power to accuse you of sin and God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. What Jesus says is because this exchange has taken place, because you've received this gift that I offer you, when God looks at you, he's going to see me. He looked at me and he saw your sin and when he now he looks at you, he's going to see my perfection and my blood. And because of that gift, you and I get to spend eternity with God forever. It is a wonderful thing to experience a touch of God's forgiveness. And my prayer is that this would happen to some of you today. Because see, I believe there's some lives here that need a fresh wind of God's grace and forgiveness to blow through them. That there are some in this room that have been needlessly carrying loads of guilt and shame. And my hope and my prayer is that many in this room would begin to take steps toward living fully in God's forgiveness. But it begins by acknowledging that you need it and then by beginning to experience this fresh touch. For some, whether it's the first time, whether it's something you've known about, but you've been carrying the burdens of your past and you can begin to let these things go. As we close this morning, I also want to mention a couple implications to experiencing a touch of forgiveness because there are implications for my life and yours. The first implication is this. We need to begin to passionately proclaim forgiveness to others. In Mark chapter 2, do you think this guy went around and kept what God did for him a secret? No, I bet he told anybody he could come in contact with what God had done for him. The question for all of us is how passionately are you and I proclaiming the message of forgiveness to those around us? Don Baker, a pastor, relates a story 
of preaching a sermon about Moses and the fact that Moses was a murderer and yet God used him in great ways after he was a murderer, that God's amazing grace and love can redeem our past and use us no matter what. When he got to the office on Monday morning, there was a note waiting for him from someone in the, who had visited the church that weekend, and the note said simply this, it's a good thing that Moses had only been a murderer. If he had been divorced, he would have been told he wasn't useful in ministry. See, I imagine this person is one of, unfortunately, millions of people who have gone through a divorce or had an affair, who have struggled with an addiction, who have destroyed their family with greed or workaholism, who have had any number of failures in their past and have been hurt and broken and decided, I'm going to turn to God for help, I'm going to look to the church for help, but instead of acceptance, they found judgment. Instead of encouragement, they found rejection. Instead of grace, they found shame. Instead of love, they found guilt. And thousands of people have walked away from churches saying, I went there for help and they crucified me. And that breaks the heart of a forgiving God. And it is contrary to the spirit of Jesus who encountered cheats and adulterers and murderers and thieves and said, your sins are forgiven. You're free. No more shame. No more guilt. Jesus was crucified so that you and I would not have to be. Sometimes when we talk about something like this, Christians or people in churches will sometimes say, well, you're minimizing sin. Not in the least. Sin equals death. But you know what's worse than minimizing sin? Minimizing the grace and love and forgiveness of Christ that that can wash over any and all sin. If Christ can forgive, then shouldn't we as well? And if we withhold forgiveness, the same forgiveness, by the way, that was extended to you and I, then we're committing sin, not others. I will say that I'm proud to be a part of a church that tries its best, doesn't do it perfectly, tries its best to reflect the character of God in this manner. To be a place that accepts people and loves people and forgives people and extends grace to people no matter where they are and what they've done. To people like me. And it gives people like me and you the opportunity to move forward and make an impact in God's kingdom, no matter what's in our past. Because I'm one of those that needs God's forgiveness desperately. And so as far as I'm concerned, we will always be that kind of a place that accepts and loves and values people no matter where they are. We need to be passionately proclaiming this forgiveness to others. The second implication of experiencing a touch of forgiveness is we need to personally extend this forgiveness to others. I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we're going to unpack this over the next few weeks, but look at uh, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Is there somebody you're at odds with today? A parent, a sibling, a child, a co-worker, a boss, an ex-spouse, maybe somebody within the church? I'm not saying there's not real pain. In many situations, there has been devastating wounds that have happened. But will you forgive? Are you willing to come back the next few weeks as we explore a life lived in forgiveness? I tell you what, when I struggle with this, and I do sometimes, just like all of us do, I try to remind myself, I'll never have to forgive anybody else more than what God has forgiven me. The one thing that unites every person in this room is we're broken, fallen people in need of forgiveness. So I ask you, will you begin to learn to willingly and liberally and generously give grace and forgiveness to others? And if you can't, will you be at least open to God changing your heart on this matter? Again, maybe this is not the message you thought you needed to hear this morning. 
but sometimes what we think we need and what we actually need are two different things. As we close our time this morning, we're going to invite you some time to come to the table because it is through the cross, through God's shed blood, that this forgiveness thing is possible. And the resurrection seals the deal. The cross pays the price, the resurrection seals it and affirms God's power to forgive. And so we're going to take some time to remember this morning. So would you bow with me? While you have your heads bowed, if I can invite those who are going to come and help serve communion, if they can come up right now and get in their places. And with your heads bowed, I want to lead you just through a moment of reflection. Because I believe there are some in this room that need to maybe for the first time honestly acknowledge some sin before God. Maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's an action, maybe it's a thought, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a behavior. But whatever God brings to mind, I'm going to ask if you would give it to Him. And you would allow a blood-stained cross to wash it away. Imagine those things from your past that you feel guilt and shame about, those things that if others in the room knew, you wouldn't even want to show your face here. And just imagine that those things are being nailed to the cross with Jesus, and as His blood gushes forth, it washes those things away. And maybe you say a word of thanks, that you have no more guilt and no more shame. And I know Jesus is not here physically to say this to you, but if you would permit me, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like to say this to you. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins, though they be many and ugly, are forgiven. And I pray you begin to experience the relief that comes with that. And you can maybe walk out of this place a little lighter than you've been in a long time. And you can celebrate the amazing grace, love, and forgiveness of God. There are also some others here maybe that have never really fully opened the gift of forgiveness that God has for them. Maybe you've done the religious thing, you've done the certain religious hoops, you've been to church, you believe, you believe in God, you believe He can forgive sins, but you've, the gift is sitting there unopened. You've never personally received it. You've never personally owned it. And for you, it's maybe a matter of say, saying a simple prayer, God, I, I open my heart and life to you today. I know, acknowledge that I'm a broken, sinful person. I want to receive your gift of forgiveness today and wash my sins away. Thank you for giving me your righteousness, your wholeness, and not counting my sins against me and giving me this gift. And for you, maybe this is the first communion for you as a person intimately acquainted with the gift of forgiveness. And I hope you sense God's pleasure. Just like when we give a gift to somebody we love, and they open it and receive it and embrace it with joy. In the same way, when we open this gift that God has for us, it brings such pleasure to Him. And maybe the next step for you is to give it to others, as we talked about. And you need to take the step of baptism. Publicly declaring, I acknowledge that I'm a sinful, broken person. But I also acknowledge that God's forgiveness and grace is greater than anything I've ever done. And I'm going to tell others that I've made this decision. Maybe there are others in here who haven't been either proclaiming the forgiveness as we should or extending it to others as we should. Maybe it's a general thing. We're not carrying the message like we know we should. Or maybe it's more specifically, maybe God's bringing the mind 
the name of a person or a face of a person that we need to forgive. And they may have done horrible things, but carrying around bitterness and anger and unforgiveness is not helping you. They may not have even asked for forgiveness. But can you allow the, the cross to transform your heart and, and as you come to the table to receive the forgiveness that God gave you and then begin to work toward giving that same forgiveness to others. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are an amazing, loving, and forgiving God. And that your grace covers everything that we can possibly imagine, every shame, every guilt, every mistake, every failure, every sin. And that we can be free. Allow us this morning to embrace freedom. Allow those that have been carrying loads to lay them down. Lighten our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of our church. If you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to come to the table. The musicians are going to play, and then when you're ready, we invite you to come forward.